Welcome to the podcast from Church of the Nazarene. Please subscribe to this podcast for the latest updates and new episodes. And you can also search for the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. We also invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 9 on our YouTube channel or Facebook Live. You can also join us in person at 9 or 1030 for our English services or 1145 for our Spanish service. We also invite you to join Celebrate Recovery every Monday night at 630. Thanks for listening. Well, if you're joining us um, for the first time or you don't know who I am, uh, my name is Billy and I serve as the pastor of discipleship here at Church of the Nazarene and have the privilege from time to time to bring God's word And so um, I have that privilege this morning as we are wrapping up a series that we've been in at the beginning of this year titled Mission in Action. And so we've been taking an intentional look at our mission statement as a church um, and what that looks like lived out in our day-to-day lives as we begin a new year. And so we've been intentional about that. You'll see the mission statement here on the screen. Uh, We are called, we believe that God has called us to be transformed by God to bring hope to others through Christ. And so the first session, we talked about being transformed, what that means in our lives to to be made different, to to be changed, to be transformed as God would have us to be. And then the second session, we talked about, uh, about God, about worshiping the one true God alone with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Uh, The third session, which was last week, we took a week off there in between. Um, uh, We had our our winter retreat Sunday, and so last week was our third session, and we talked about bringing hope to others, bringing hope to others and what that means in our day-to-day lives. And we've been diving into this series, not so that you have uh, more knowledge about our mission statement or or kind of uh, understand where it came from or anything like that. Uh, We want you to know that, but ultimately so that you're inspired, so that you're empowered to live out God's mission in your life day-to-day. And so we, we talked last week about bringing hope to others. And Pastor Adrian, um, uh, our pastor, he, he landed here in Romans 15, 13, and I have it on the screen. This is kind of where he was, was driving at home, this attitude, this idea of bringing hope to others. And the Apostle Paul writes this to the church in Rome. He says, may the God of hope, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope, Right? May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he had a a wonderful illustration, so I want us to look at that as we bridge into our final session this week. Take a look. Really? All right, bear with me. 
you think Paul is, is talking about uh, like this, like, like this. Now, now maybe this kind of looks and describes like, like some of us. It's, it's not a mist. It's just a little bit, a little bit of hope. Maybe you, maybe you read your Bible just a little bit. You know, not too much. Don't have time for that. Maybe you pray just a little bit. It's good. It fills you up. Gives you a little feeling inside. But, but that's it. Just a, just a tiny little splash of hope. Maybe that's kind of what your spiritual journey looks like. Just a tiny little bit. And every now and then a little drop or two comes out. But most of the time it's just enough to fill you up and you're feeling good. That's all it does. Is that what Paul is describing when he talks about overflowing hope? I don't think you have to be an expert on Greek to understand that when Paul is speaking of overflowing hope, he's not talking about this, this misting or this tiny little bit, right? He, he's talking about this. He, he is saying, the, the eye is floating in the water, it's distracting. He's talking about that we experience the hope of Jesus in such a dramatic way that it is poured out into our lives in, sorry about that. in such a powerful way that, that we cannot help but ooze out. We can't hope. It's not just a matter of when we're squeezed. Oh, when we're squeezed, it comes out. It's not even when we're squeezed that we're living our, I need a bigger bowl for the next service, right? When we are living our lives moment by moment, his hope is poured out into us so much that it overflows. So that when I'm going into my workplace tomorrow, there is hope spilling out of me. So when I'm driving home today and I'm looking across the street, the neighbors that drive me, there's hope spilling out of me. That there's compassion, that there's empathy, that, there, that, that I am moved and compelled to care about people that I normally wouldn't care. Why? Because the hope is pouring out of me. It is overflowing in my life. This is the picture that the Apostle Paul wants us to have. Not just a hope like this. A hope that, that we get to experience and ooh, that feels good. But it doesn't change our life. It doesn't impact those around us. We don't ever share it with anyone else. It never drips out of us. Not even a hope that's just little dashes at a time on a Sunday morning or a little bit, yeah, that was nice. But, but we largely keep it for ourselves. No, a hope that overflows. It pours out of us so much that it gets the stage wet. It's all over the table, right? It's hope you can't contain because it's overflowing hope. That is the image that the Apostle Paul wants us to have as we look at this idea of hope. It's hope that we can't contain. It's hope when, when a sponge is fully saturated, you can't hold it in anymore, right? It's dripping everywhere that's the picture that i want you to have that's the picture that our mission calls us to that we are transformed by god to bring hope to others we have been so transformed by the power of god in our lives that we are dripping we are overflowing with hope that we have experienced the powerful hope in such a way that it is dripping out of us into every person that we meet that's the mission that's the mission that we've been called to so bringing hope to others right a sermon in a sermon you didn't think you'd get that today. Um, anyway, bringing hope to others, it's going to help us. It's going to help us get grips on, on, on where we're going for this final session. Bringing hope to others, uh, we would all admit it sounds inspiring, right? 
It sounds romantic and chivalric. And some of you think that that might be a curse word. But chivalric, in terms of chivalry, right? What is chivalry? The combination of qualities expected of a, of a knight, an ideal knight, right? Courage and honor and courtesy and justice and readiness to help the weak. We get these feelings when we talk about bringing hope to others. Why? Why, does, why do we feel that way? It's because it's ingrained in us. It's in our DNA because we've been created as image bearers of our creator. All right? That's why we feel this way when we talk about bringing hope. And in Romans 15, 13, the verse we just looked at, Paul calls our creator, what does he call him? He calls him the God of hope. So if we're created in the image of our God, our creator, then it's ingrained in us, this desire for hope. We, we desire hope, and not only that, we desire to share hope with others. Because it's part of who we are, that we are created by the God of hope. And let me, let me clarify a few things because I don't know where you're at, where you're coming from this morning. When we say God here at COTN, we believe biblically in one eternally existent, infinite God, sovereign creator and sustainer of the universe. That he only is God, holy in nature, attributes and purpose. The God who is holy love and light is triune and essential being. Three in one, one in three, one God, three persons revealed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So that's, that's what we're talking about when we talk about God today. And so this brings us to our final message in this series, which should certainly focus on the final word in our mission statement, and that is Christ. The final word in our mission statement is Christ, right? We're bringing hope to others through Christ. And so we want to focus on that final word today. And when we say Christ, again, I want to be clear this morning, uh, Christ is God the Son, the second person of the triune Godhead. He is the God-man. And I want to reiterate, when we talk about Christ Jesus, we affirm the biblical truth that he, Jesus, is indeed God. You say, why do you, why do you need to emphasize that, Pastor Billy? Because uh, in this past year, a study came out called uh, The State of Theology, and contrary uh, to the rising tide, this study showed that from 2020 to 2022, those who profess to be born-again evangelical Christians, there was a 13% increase in those who claimed to be born-again evangelical Christians who believed Jesus was just a great teacher, but he was not God. That's in the church. And so I want to be really clear this morning that we emphasize through Christ in our mission statement and that it has the last statement in our mission very intentionally because we have no hope to offer others apart from Christ. And so a biblical picture of hope overflowing, I wanted to give you something literally from God's word, right? Because that illustration, um, I loved it so much, I wanted you to see it again to build this bridge. But when we look at God's word, I found this picture in Acts chapter 5, right? And so the church, the church is growing. People are placing their faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, the disciples are going out and, and, and hope of Jesus is overflowing. They're, they're sharing the good news that you can be saved from your sins, that he came to die for you, to forgive you of your sins and give you new life. And so because of their message, they were beginning to get persecuted. They were being persecuted. And it says this in verse 14, Acts chapter 5, nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. The church was growing. And as a result, people, this is 15, as a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's, 
So we're talking about Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, one who knew him well and intimately, but he's just a man. He's just Peter. He messed up a lot. It says they brought them and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Why in the world do they want Peter's shadow to fall on them? Not that Peter would touch them, that his shadow would cross their path. It's because as we're seeing what's happening, the hope of Christ, because of his power through the Holy Spirit at work in Peter's life, the hope of Christ was so overflowing that even those his shadow fell on were healed. It's remarkable, isn't it? Those whose Peter's shadow fell on were healed. A.W. Tozer says this. It's on the screen. He says, God is looking for people through whom he can do the impossible. What a pity we plan to do the things we can only do by ourselves. A life overflowing with the hope of Christ. Hope through Christ. Bringing hope to others through Christ. That's what we're talking about today as we wrap up this focus on our mission statement. So the first question today could be this. What is hope? What is this hope? Pastor Paul David Tripp said this. He said, here's the radical truth of the gospel. The good news about Jesus. He says, hope is not a situation. Hope is not a location Hope is not a possession. Hope is not an experience. Hope is more than an insight or a truism. And I add, hope is not a set of circumstances or a policy. He says, hope is a person and his name is Jesus. Hope is a person and his name is Jesus. So for us today, this means to know hope is to know Jesus. And so I want to talk for a minute the difference uh, about this idea of knowing Jesus, knowing Christ, versus knowing about Christ. Knowing Christ versus knowing about Christ. There's a vast difference, actually an internal difference. An eternal difference between knowing Jesus and knowing about Jesus. Knowing about Christ could happen in two ways. could happen in two ways. The first is this, that you've heard about him. You've heard about him. Compare this to seeing a picture or reading a news headline or seeing an ad on your YouTube video or social media feed, and you've heard about it, right? I heard about that. This is the most superficial way to know about a person or a place or a thing. There's no elaboration or depth of any kind. And concerning Jesus, uh, knowing him just by hearing about him, uh, this could be applied to people who claim to be a Christian because their parents were Christians or because they're American or some other reason. And this is just a label and means nothing. You know Jesus because you've heard about him. Or maybe this would apply today. You know uh, about Jesus because you've learned about him. You know about Christ because you've learned about him. And and this level of knowing goes just a little bit deeper than having heard about, right? It can be compared to how fans of famous people feel like they know them because they read about them or maybe they've studied them. A fan might know their birthday, their favorite food, where they like to shop. But this isn't really knowing them, is it? And some of you all know what I'm talking about because you're weird like that. But to know about Jesus in this way is to know information about Jesus, to know right doctrine about Jesus. And concerning Jesus, this can be dangerous because one might feel as if they know him due to the abundance of knowledge. We see this happen in in the New Testament, in the Gospels, right? The religious leaders, 
They thought they knew God because of the abundant knowledge and their acts of following the law. But in truth, not know him at all. Some may even go to church and do religious things, but if there's no relationship, there's no true knowing. Jesus talked about some who never knew him, but they thought they did. Matthew 15, verses 8 and 9, he's quoting the prophet Isaiah, and and Jesus says this. He says, these people, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They give me lip service, but there is no life service. They worship me in vain, and their teachings are merely human rules. And you back up into Matthew 7. He's wrapping up his sermon on the mount, right? In verse 21, we pick up, and it says, Not everyone, this is Jesus speaking, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? He's saying on that day, won't many people say, but God, didn't we bring a lot of hope? Didn't we do a lot of things? And what's Jesus say? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. You had no relationship with me. Away from me. You evil doers. And so listen, listen, knowing him versus knowing about him will determine if you have real hope to actually bring to others. Because as we've already stated, Christ is the only hope we can give anyone. We are intentional about adding that to the final statement of our mission. The reality, this is the reality, the only hope you can give is that the reality is that Christ saves sinners from their sins and gives them hope for eternal life. Amen? So that's knowing about Christ. What does it look like to know Christ, to know Christ in this way? Look, at, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 3 if you want to turn there um, this morning. Philippians chapter 3, would you stand with me? Uh, We're we're going to read verses 7 through 11. Uh, We're just going to stand to read God's word this morning, get the blood flowing um, as we read the word, because we want to know Christ today, not just know about him. It's going to be on the screen. You can follow in the YouVersion Bible event. But here it is. Paul's writing. He says, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. I now consider loss. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. This is the word of the Lord today. You can be seated. So let's take a few minutes to unpack that. What does it look like to know Christ, to know Christ in such a way that this hope is overflowing from your life because the bottom line of what Paul is saying here in this in these few verses is that nothing nothing is as worth as much as knowing Christ nothing he is the source of our hope and the subject of our hope and so the implication is that Paul wants to know Christ more than he wants anything else in this world 
Is that your heart's desire today? You see, just a quick run through of my story. You know, I grew up in the church and I was kind of like, you know, I I was kind of like the good kid and who followed the rules and and I was president of my youth group and all that. But while all the while I had a double-minded heart uh, living in sin, but putting out this persona of, uh, you know, I, I can check off the religious boxes. And so I, I felt pretty good about myself, and, and I was a good athlete and, and made good grades in school. And I graduated a salutatorian of my high school class, and, and so I, got a, I, I wanted to play baseball. I thought for sure I, I was a high school standout and uh, All-American, all of these things. And I thought for sure God has created me to play professional baseball. That's it. I could see the writing on the wall. It was going to happen. All I needed to do was go to college and play for a couple years, and I would get drafted. And so I got a scholarship to come play at James Madison University, and, and so I, w- I was excited about that, right, Division I baseball. And so I came, and, um, and I came here, and I would come to church every Sunday and uh, began serving with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, a student leadership team. And so right, I was checking all the boxes off. I was doing all of the things. And then God uh, began to close doors, and, and, and I knew I had a call of ministry on my life, but I was just like, I'll put that kind of on the back burner until uh, baseball's over, and, and then I'll, I'll kind of see what God wants to do with that. And so um, I continued to do all of the things, right? And um, I even got a degree from JMU uh, in public policy and administration, and that surprises some of you, but that's what my undergraduate degree is. It's in public policy. And, and so I went through school, and I got the degree, and, and God began to shut the doors, on the baseball dreams, and things didn't make sense, and things didn't uh, seem to be working out, and so I was a little confused, but I kept pressing on, like, no, I think he's gonna, I think he's gonna come through, and uh, I'm like, God, look at all of these things I've done, I've been, I've lived for you, look at this, and so I was adding all of these things up, and, and eventually Jesus was like, no, I, I, I want your heart, I want your life, and so uh, junior to senior year, I contacted Pastor Kerry, who was the previous pastor. I said, hey, I'm, I, I, maybe we can pray about, uh, I could come on staff with you after I graduate college. And so God began to work in the details of all of it. And you say, why do you share all this? Because I got a degree from JMU. I, have, I don't use it for anything. And so, but, but what, I, what I'm saying is I, I'm with Paul. I consider my plans, my accomplishments, my check in the religious boxes, my degrees as a loss, as garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. And I'm going to have to apologize because my parents are going to be in the next service and they helped pay for that piece of paper from JMU. But what Paul is saying is, he's saying all things, all of my pedigree, all of my accomplishments, all of my uh, religious uh, uh, standings and credentials, he said they're nothing because they blinded me to the, the reality that Christ wants to save me, that knowing him is not the same as knowing a lot about him. And so he reiterates it in verse 8. He said, I consider everything a loss. He intensifies what he's saying. He's saying, listen, everything is a disadvantage to me compared to just knowing Jesus as my Messiah. And by saying that, he's not saying that his Jewish upbringing and the law and everything else that he lists before this passage were evil. That's not what Paul is saying. He's saying, but his attitude towards them was evil. Why? Because he esteemed those things. He esteemed those accomplishments. He esteemed his own righteousness. He placed his hope in those things and not in the finished work of Christ. The ancient Greek word for garbage. Paul used a strong language, right? He says, I consider them garbage. The ancient Greek word for garbage had one of two uses. It could describe excrement from the body. I don't need to explain that. Or table scraps that were fit only to be thrown out to dogs. 
And so we can suppose that Paul would be comfortable with either meaning in this context. That's how much he disregarded everything else except knowing Christ. Knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. That's the phrase that he uses. And it echoes the Old Testament's use of the term know in referring to humans' acknowledgement of and obedience to God's revelation of who God is. And so when Paul, in this passage in Philippians, speaks of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, he means that he has acknowledged God's great act of deliverance in Christ and submitted to Christ's lordship. For Paul, salvation, sanctification, spirituality were not of his own efforts or some religious process of law-keeping or of ritual and tradition and custom, but it was knowing, loving, obeying, and serving the person of Jesus Christ. You see, Paul didn't concentrate on the process but on the person of Jesus. And that's why we keep Christ in our mission statement. It's not about the process of bringing hope. It's about the person who is hope. And some of you say, well, that's Paul. He was called as an apostle for the Lord. And yes, indeed he was. You're right. But this is not just his heartbeat, right? And the life's purpose of Paul. It's the heartbeat of every believer through the ages who has found all joy and peace and hope in Christ Jesus. Some of you know people walking, talking in the flesh, people who lived this way and lived this way. Some of them were your parents. Some of them were your grandparents. Maybe a great-grandparent, maybe an aunt or an uncle or a sibling or a mentor or a pastor. And they never articulated it like Paul, but their life and their words declared and may declare today that Jesus is their supreme hope. It oozed out of them like Pastor Adrian said. No matter what, when you saw them, it was dripping from them. It was dripping from them. In verse 9, he says that the righteousness of God's people comes from the righteousness of Christ. And he continues in verse 10. He says, I want to know the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, and be conformed to his death. The power of his resurrection, the power that raised the Lord from the dead is set forth in God's word as the greatest display of might which the universe has ever seen. And you know what? You know what our hope is? That same power is placed at the disposal of all believers to be appropriated by faith. And so Paul, Paul is saying his ambition is to experience this power in his life and his testimony to others. That that power would be at work overflowing no matter what he finds himself doing where he finds himself at. He knows that sharing in the fellowship of sufferings draws him deeper into the heart of his Savior, and ultimately, Paul desires to emulate the self-emptying love that Jesus displayed on the cross, even if it leads to his own death. And in verse 11, finally, he says this. He says that I may attain to the resurrection. Paul anticipates that being conformed to Christ's death will lead to new life and power in Christ resurrection a life we're talking about today of overflowing with hope through Christ remember this remember that Paul Paul the one who wrote this had experience and experienced more suffering than we will probably ever experience in our entire lives and he wrote this from the custody of Roman soldiers he's literally in prison writing these letters this wasn't merely theological theory and ideas good church doctrine but a lived-out connection, a lived-out relationship with God through Christ. 
At one point, Paul says, I'm in chains for the gospel. But listen, listen, don't be discouraged because many of the palace guard have placed their faith in Jesus because of my presence here. And the dude's locked up in the enemy's prison. And he says, don't be discouraged. They're giving their lives to Jesus because I'm here. Because this hope is overflowing from my life. I was on the phone this week, a real life example. I was on the phone this week of, here's an example of hope in life and death. And I'm not going to share a name, but I called a, a man in our church um, who's sick. Um, he, he's dying of cancer. Um, he's, been, uh, he's been experiencing a lot of physical and health problems. He's been in and out of surgery multiple times. The last six months um, have been a journey. When they diagnosed him, they said, you have two to four years with your cancer. We'll start treatment. But then he had these other complications. And, and so uh, his most recent surgery, now they have to stop chemo. And hopefully his body heals from this procedure. Uh, so, everything, so he doesn't have to have another one. And then they can start the chemo back. And so I called him to try to encourage him. And he said to me, he said, Pastor Billy, I fully trust in Jesus. And he sounded like Paul. The next thing he said, he said, man, he's given me a lot of chances to witness along this journey. He said, man, the first, the first guy I shared a room with, he wasn't a believer at all. And I got to witness to him and just share hope with him. He said, the second person was a nurse. He said, she was anxious and worried about something going on in her life. And I got to pray with her and share the hope that I have with her. This guy's dying of cancer. He's, he's on a journey. Nothing's going right. He says, and the last guy, he was a believer. And man, we didn't stop talking. Can you imagine the hope that was just pouring out? And so we continued, and towards the end of the conversation, he said this to me. He said, I know where I stand with Christ, and I trust him no matter what his plan is. I can't say I fully understand it, but I still trust him. I would follow him blindfolded. If he were here and I could only hear his voice, he said, I would follow him blindfolded if he was leading me. And he told me to turn left. Even if I couldn't see anything at all, I would turn left. Man, a life overflowing with hope. Through Christ. Paul's desire that I may know him. There is a difference between knowing about him and knowing him. To know Jesus is not the same as knowing about his life. The same as knowing correct doctrines regarding Jesus. It's not the same as knowing his moral example. And it's not the same as knowing his great work even on our behalf. No, to know him means to grow in practical day-by-day relationship with him in such an intimate way that you and I would become more Christ-like. You see, Paul, what Paul was saying in Philippians 3 is, I want the life of Christ to be reproduced in my life. This is the essence of a life that overflows with hope. And so I ask you this morning, I ask you, do you know Jesus as beautiful? Do you know him as all-satisfying in your life? Is Christ the highest treasure of your life? No, don't you, no, I'm not asking if you know him as the demons know him. The demons know him and they shudder. Or as the devil knows him. The devil knows all about God and he still hates everyone. My question is, is Christ your greatest treasure today? And is that reality evidenced in your life? Because we as the church, the followers of Jesus, are called to be a counter-narrative people in the world in which we live. Enlivened and led by the word, right? Jesus. And by his word, what the scriptures say. Is he your greatest treasure today as you live your life moment by moment? 
this will be familiar, this is the mission of Christ. This is the mission that he calls his church to. Matthew 28, Jesus says this, Then Jesus came to them, those waiting on him, and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. That Greek translation just means, therefore, as you go, as you're going, wherever you're going, as you go, make disciples of all nations. As you go, let this hope spill out, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey, teaching them to serve, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. It's the mission that Christ gave us. And so this is our mission In review, this is the mission of our church that we are transformed by God to bring hope to others through Christ, through knowing Christ intimately in relationship. Christ rightly has the last word in our mission statement. It's not about checking off religious boxes. It's about knowing and worshiping Christ as Lord of your life and mine and serving and sharing him in and through our lives. So the question is, does Christ have the last word in your life today. Because here's what I believe the mission of your life is. No matter who you are, I believe this is the mission of your life and mine. And it's this, to know and serve Christ Jesus as your Savior and Lord. That's the mission of your life. To know and serve Him as Savior and Lord. You see, living a biblically missional life is really all about lordship. It's really all about lordship. So is Christ Lord of your life today? Is he the object and expectation of your hope today? Author, speaker, teacher Dennis Rainey said this. He said, Jesus Christ didn't come to take sides. He came to take over. Christ didn't come to get your attention for a couple hours a week. He came to be the center of your existence Jesus Christ didn't come for your leftovers. He came to be lavishly loved wholeheartedly. Jesus Christ didn't come just for your hands and feet. He came for your heart, all of you. He didn't come only to save you from God's future wrath. He came to be your redeemer and life giver today. Jesus Christ didn't come just to be your friend and your confidant. No, he came to be obeyed and trusted and worshipped. Jesus Christ didn't come to make you comfortable He came to make you secure and enlist you in his exhilarating mission. Jesus Christ didn't come to give you a good life. He came to give you his life. And Jesus Christ will not come back as a lamb. He will return as the conquering King of kings, Lord of lords, the Lord God Almighty. You see the overflowing hope that Paul mentions in Romans 15 that Adrian showed us with the sponge. It's a result of the power of God through the Holy Spirit as as you trust in him. As you trust in him, and you can't really trust someone that you don't know, can you? And in trusting, you're filled with all joy and all peace. The worship team comes as we prepare to respond. Pastor Paul David Tripper continues. He says, Jesus comes to you and he makes a commitment of hope. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now there's hope. You have something profoundly deeper to hold on to than the hope that people will be nice to you, that your job will work out, that you'll make good choices when you're tempted, that you'll be smart enough to make good decisions, that you'll be able to avoid poverty or sickness, or that you'll have a good place to live and enough to eat. He says, no, this is eternal and deeply personal hope. It rests in the truth that Jesus has wrapped his powerful arms around you and he will never 
ever let go. If nothing you envisioned ever works out and all the bad things you've dreaded come your way, you still have hope. Because why? Because He, Christ, is with you in power and in grace. The modern hymn, Christ our hope in life and death, says this. He says, what is our hope in life and death? Christ alone, Christ alone. What is our only confidence? That our souls to Him belong. And so Dennis Rainey declares, Christ has staked a claim on your life. Be glad of it. He's incomparable. It's your calling and honor to serve Him. There's no other way to live a life that matters. Church friends, family, our lives should daily reflect the hope of who Christ is. This is living. This is putting action behind our mission. First in your home and your family and then in your neighborhood and everywhere that you step your foot. Would you stand with me as we prepare to pray and respond to God's word this morning? We're going to sing a song in just a minute. And we've sang it here many times. It's titled, Move Your Heart. And it's really a song of surrender. It's really a song of saying, God, my deepest desire is to know you and to serve you with my life. That's what the cry of the song is. But as we've done every week in this series, I want to give you a response, a prayer of response that you can pray this morning. And it's going to be here on the screen. This is the prayer this morning. Jesus, everything hinges on you. It's, a, it's an acknowledgement. It's a confession that everything hinges on Christ. Knowing you and serving you is what empowers and inspires us to accomplish your mission. But listen, there are some of you today, some of you today who really just know about Christ. You don't know him in that way. You don't know him deeply and relationally. He's not become the Lord of your life. And so I offer this second prayer. I surrender to your lordship in my life today. May your will and your purpose and your mission be fulfilled in and through my life. And the Lord will honor that prayer. And he'll honor your heart's desire to know him and to serve him as Savior and Lord. Would you pray with me? Jesus, Jesus, you're certainly worthy as the apostle Paul declared, there is nothing. Everything else is a loss. Everything else is a loss. Except to know you and for you to be magnified in and through our lives. And so God, as we wrap up this focus on our mission statement that you've called us to based upon your mission, God, I pray that we would not leave here the same way that we came in that we would confess that we need you, that everything hinges on you. And Lord, if there are those in the room who have yet to surrender uh, to your Lordship in their lives, I pray that they would know that they can do that this morning. And then moment by moment, they'll experience all joy and all peace. And when all joy and all peace are filling our lives, it can't do anything but spill out and bring hope to those who we come in contact with. Lord, I pray that we would be your people in the days in which we're living. In Jesus' name.
Thank you so much for listening today. Go ahead and subscribe to our channel for updates and new episodes. And if you have any questions about our church or ministries, go ahead and email us at info at cotnaz.org.